beautiful people. I am Haley. I am your guide to love. Welcome back. This podcast is all about holistic health, sacred sexuality, and spirituality. I have Ray Dohar here. She focuses on holistic sexuality and food alchemists. I love what you're doing. Welcome. <laughs> Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Yeah, because you, we got introduced by mutual friend Jess and I really love that you connect food and sex because I've interviewed people where they discuss sex and money. That's discussed a lot. But you're the only person that I know that discusses food and sex. And I love that. So let's go into it. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. Um, you know, what I usually say is like food and sex are the two sort of sacred alchemies that remind us that like what's inside of us can be shared outwardly and the world around us can be taken into us. And I think that, you know, I'm all for the, the sort of modern revival of the Tantra and of these kinds of teachings, but um, the ultimate goal of any of these teachings is unity, right? It's oneness, it's unity consciousness. And so it's remembering that these things that like appear to be so separate or appear to be so different are very much linked together. And that's, you know, more of like the broad umbrella um, way of seeing it. But then in the day to day and the minutia of it, when I'm working one on one with clients, right? Like if you are um, feeling a lot of restriction and shame around the way that you eat or around the things that you can eat, if you feel um, actually something that comes up a lot is like a, a fear of messiness messiness when you're eating translates typically to holding back in the bedroom. If you don't know how to have conversations around what you want for dinner, you probably don't know how to have conversations around what you want in the bedroom. And then every once in a while, I have met someone who has done a lot of work in one area. Like let's say that, that, um, that they have done a lot of work in the area of healing their relationship to sexuality. They have a lot of sexual confidence. They're exploratory. They're whatever. Um, but um, they're really anxious in a room of food. They're really anxious when they have to suddenly share meals with people or something like that. And I found that you can kind of leverage a really healthy relationship to your sexuality, for example, and project it onto your food or vice versa. I get a lot of clients who have come from eating disorder, eating disorder rehabilitation or recovery programs, um, and they have done a lot of work around their relationship to food. And then they can kind of use that same work and project it onto their relationship with their sexuality. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Like everything you just said, that is insane. <laughs> and I, I, the way you're describing, I'm like, wow, that makes so much sense because it's like, oh, okay. If you really have some sort of issue with food and then maybe you're not speaking up with, um, Hey guys, you know, now I can't eat dairy. I need to start going to dairy free um, mm. restaurants. You don't say that. And then maybe you're saying that most likely transfers to your sex life. Absolutely. You're home with your partner and you're like, well, you know, if you want me to squirt, we're going to need to do this for 45 minutes. I'm really going to need you to get on board. Like you're probably, if you couldn't even say like, I don't eat ice cream right now, you, you probably can't say that either. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in our, do you think that there's shame with that? With, um, with not being able to speak up for yourself. Mm, I think it's a lot of things. I think that, um, I think it's twofold, right? I think that we either believe that we shouldn't have desires 
um, or we believe that the people who love us in their demonstration of their love for us should be able to read our minds. So either way, it's really built into the psyche. And I, like I personally, within my own work, I don't use language like masculine, feminine. I don't necessarily talk about like cis heteronormative examples, but for this example that I think is very visceral in the, in the collective, it's like, oh, if I'm the woman, you know, in my straight relationship, when I'm a little girl, I'm taught that, you know, I'm sugar and spice and everything nice. And everything that I can leverage is intrinsic in my capacity to be liked and to be likable and to perform my likability. And one of the ways that society tells me as a little girl that I can perform my likability is that like, I don't want anything and I'm happy with everything as it is. And um, so, yes, I think that there's shame that comes into that because that like secondary and tertiary emotions of sort of these meta emotions of like, well, I feel shame about the parts of me that don't fit into this mold. Um, and I think that sort of in moving, in moving forward with that, it's just shame in any part of me that doesn't fit in that sort of cookie cutter. I'm like gesticulating for people who can't see. I'm like making cookie cutter shapes with my hands. Any part of me, any part of my energy that lives outside of that is something that should be thrown away. And that includes, you know, my desires. So again, I, I think it's, those two things of either I shouldn't have any desires at all, or if you really love me, you'd already know what I want. And the truth of the truth is getting in touch with your desires on a somatic level, on an energetic level, on an intellectual level is a practice. It is a muscle. And if you haven't done it in a long time, you have to learn how to do it. You have to, well, I would posit that it's maybe more you have to unlearn how to stop doing it. But you still have to be in the practice of how do I make contact with the part of myself that wants? And how do I listen to what that says? And how do I sort of build trust with myself so that I can believe um, the feedback loop that's coming through and I can deliver on the things that I'm receiving? Mm, yes, I love everything you're saying. And I love how you say build trust with yourself. And that is so key, I think, for women because it's almost like we are taught uh we're taught to look externally and then mm -hmm. oh my god I, I you know it's like that because i've dealt with this in the past for me personally it's like struggling to trust myself but i trust other people's opinions more than my own mm. well right and you know my background is in yoga uh, I had a yoga studio for about 10 years. And um, so much of that, like those, these like gurus and these like cult dynamics that you see in the sexual violence that is so prevalent in these communities exists because of like what I call like the need for the spiritual daddy. It's like, I, and, and the cult leader can be a woman and sometimes it is, but um, you know, this need for somebody outside of me to validate my edges, for somebody to tell me where I end and where the rest of the world begins. And I believe that the fundamental principle that the fundamental belief that has to shift is a belief in the nature of our own desires. So what I would always say to any client who comes to me, I say it, I have tons of free content that says this. I know other coaches live in this as well, but my desires are God given. And it is my acting on my desires that is my gift back to God. And when you don't know that, or when you live on a paradigm that says my desires are shameful, my desires are an accident, I'm being punked by the universe, I'm the special unique failure who broke the universe. When you live in that mindset, it's really difficult 
to be self-empowered and to trust the things that are coming through. So of course you project them outward because you're like, oh no, what's inside of me is nasty and dirty and flawed and wrong and shameful. And so what's outside of me will make me clean again, will make me pure again, will make me holier than that, will make me worthy, will make me, will give me a sense of connectivity and inclusivity and a, a sense of belonging. And so I think really where I start with every, um, with, with every client is really leaning into the paradigm of abundance instead of the paradigm of scarcity. And the foundational belief of that is that my desires are God-given. If I, if I line up 10 people and I ask you, what's your dream? What's your dream? What's your dream? I'll get 10 different answers. Why could that possibly be? Unless some force greater than us or, or our highest self, I don't care. You know, I also use the, um, the image of like, there is the acorn who knows that it will grow into the oak tree, mm -hmm. but there is also the oak tree, the DNA, the epigenetics and the genetics that live encoded in the acorn, the oak tree that invites the acorn into being. So you don't have to say that your desires are God-given. You can say my, my desires are, are reflected to me from my higher self. I mean, it doesn't, you don't, whatever language is resonant for you, but when you start to understand that these desires are my signposts, these are the things that are leading me forward, then suddenly they're not shameful. They're the map to your life, to a life that looks and feels like you. You wouldn't be given anything that you weren't meant to or weren't able to fulfill. And I think when that shift happens, you need less and less of the spiritual daddy if it's a yoga community. You need less of a boyfriend to tell you that your dress looks good. I mean, I love words of affirmation, but you need less to be validated by your friends, by your boss. And it's not to say that you can't hear someone's opinion, receive it. I Actually, to be, to be honest, Haley, when you said, oh, I, I trusted, I used to trust other people people over myself. I think that's where a lot of women start because we are, you know, as a whole, again, not to make generalizations, but we are often community connectors. Yes. And I tell a lot of clients, I'm like, cool. Then it sounds like you might not know how to listen to the truth of your experience in the moment, but you seem to be really good at delegating. So yes. if right now, the only thing that you know that you trust is your best friend from fourth grade, then I suggest you call her every week and run some things by her. Maybe you can't trust your opinion on this guy, but you can trust your capacity to choose a really great friend. And so I do think if people feel like, I really don't trust myself, I don't know where to start, mm -hmm. look at the people in your life you do trust, because that's probably a great place to start and you picked them. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, I love everything that you just said about the fact that our desires are sacred and they are God given. Mm. And because it's so, you know, this is what I was thinking about too this morning when I was laying in bed thinking about this interview. <laughs> um, I was like, man, you know, you know, women, we put a fucking cap on our pleasure, right? We put a cap on how much we can receive, right? So mm. when I was thinking of the food thing, I was like, man, oh, I can only have one cookie, right? Mm. I can't have too many. I'm gonna judge myself. You know, or, oh, I, I can only have sex you know, when he wants to, maybe I want it more than him, but I can't speak up, you know? Mm. I mean, the funny thing with that, right? So I used to have certain foods that I felt that I couldn't be around certain bit trigger, trigger warning, binge eating in case anyone mm -hmm. wants to skip ahead, like a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> and one of those foods were these plates of, of nachos. And at that time I was eating a vegan diet. And so they were nachos made with that diet, that diet cheese and mm -hmm. a lot of jalapenos and one day I decided, um, and I was very young when this happened, I was maybe 20. Um, and so I decided like, okay, 
I'm afraid. Okay. So what am I afraid of? I'm afraid that if I start eating these nachos, I, I will, uh, I will never stop. I'll never stop eating the nachos, right? I'll never stop eating the nachos. And so I was like, well, let's test that theory. And I just made a giant plate of nachos every day. And when I was done eating that plate of nachos, if I wanted a second plate, I made a second plate. And I acted this out for, I mean, it really, it was, it was probably longer than most people expected. It was probably a couple weeks where I ate massive plates of nachos every single day. Um, mm -hmm. But eventually I was like, oh, I'm kind of over nachos. And any time that the vegan nachos came up in my field and they did, I was still at university and like I, we made them for parties or whatever. It was like, I was cool with like a normal portion of not, and I don't want to say normal, what is normal, but I, uh, the amount of nachos I was putting into my face at one time was probably not appropriate for most people in most social, social situations. But after this experiment, I was like, well, I'm cool with a regular amount a socially acceptable amount of nachos. And it's not because I'm shaming myself. It's because like that drive is that I've, I've tested it. I've been to the other side of it. I've lived. And so right. These, People that are like, oh gosh, if I, I've had clients be like, I don't want to go off the pill because my sex drive will be so high that it'll push my partner away. Oh. And, and I'm like, cool. I hear that when you're, when you're ready, let's test that theory. And the truth is like, I'm a sex coach and I don't spend 20 hours a day fucking. And then the other like four hours a day, like sleeping and washing <laughs> yeah, really. doing my skincare routine or something like that. It's like when you allow yourself freedom, that need to binge whatever it is, is usually rooted in the fear of scarcity that it's going away soon. Mm. If you really listen to your body, no one wants to eat a plate of three plates of nachos a day forever. I promise you it will stop feeling good eventually. I promise you that laying on your back in bed 16 hours a day will not feel great after a couple of days. I've been, I've tested this theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, a lot of it is like just the fear, the fear that it's going to go away soon or I'll <laughs> never be able to have as much as I want is this, right? It's like I've withheld my desires from myself. So even that is like I withhold, I'm scared of any of my desires because I'm afraid I'll want too much. Mm. And then I touch any of my desires and I'm like, oh gosh, whether it's nachos or orgasms or partners or shoes, who, massages at the spa, like mm -hmm. none of these, we, we need as a species, we need as human beings, adaptability and variability, heart rate variability and adaptability are two of the biggest determining factors of our longevity as a species, as individuals, these lengthen our telomeres that allow us to live a longer life, a longer, healthier life our heart rate variability and our adaptability. And so nobody desires to do the same thing every day. It's just never going to happen. So, mm. I, you know, if you're, if you're listening and you're afraid of, you know, whatever your binge triggers are or whatever these, like, just do them, just, just do them. I promise you, you will not drown in ice cream for more than a couple of days. It just won't happen. Mm. Yeah. And I'm really glad you're saying that though. And it, this interview could not have happened at a better time because hello, you know, with everything going on. Right. Um, because I think that nowadays people are getting triggered with whatever their thing is, right? And it's like, fuck, just do it. You know, if you want to eat two <laughs> bags of cookies, do it. And then you'll move past it. Because I do think that I think, and maybe, you know, I don't know what you, what you think about this, but I almost think the judgment of it and the shame of it is worse than actually doing the habit. 
I'm like snapping my fingers. I didn't yeah. want to make a bunch of noise in the background. I was like, <laughs> hallelujah. In the back. I mean, it's the, the meta emotions, right? This is what I tell my clients. It's like, you're eating this cake and it's not made of like great ingredients, but it, it's fine. But your judgment about it, your shame about it, your opinion about it is this like layer of shit frosting that just sits on top of this already not great cake. Like you would have been fine just eating the cake, drinking a big glass of water and moving on with your life. But your, your judgment about it, your opinion, I mean, if we look mm -hmm. even vibrationally, like if, I, if we were to stick a bunch of stickers on us and monitor our emotions and our heart rate, we would see that anxiety and excitement are vibrationally, energetically almost identical. Yep. That feelings of spaciousness, feelings of emptiness are vibrationally almost identical. And the only difference is our opinion of what it is that we're feeling. Yes. I so agree with you on that. And I also think that, especially in terms of the whole sexuality piece, I mean, man, you know, when I first, when I fully let myself just like be like explore and be like, oh, you know, I was at, I had the luxury last year of being with a guy who was open to anything. It was so... I've never had that experience before where he would be like, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, mm. I don't know. So many things I haven't tried. This is exciting. <laughs> um, it's always fun. But I think that I wish that every woman could experience that because it was a non-judgment, shame-free. Uh, I mean, even though I knew long-term him and I wouldn't have worked out, but in that time period we were together, it was amazing because I think that it was so just freedom of expression. Mm. Well, I, I mean, two things that come up when I hear that and right, like we're both coaches. So we're just like mm -hmm. in the coaching feedback loop forever, like funhouse mirrors. But one for people listening, for people receiving this, I don't think it's like I had the luxury, right? I think it's like Ooh, I cleaned up my energetic right. minimums and I did the work internally within myself to say, I receive all my desires as God given. And they are a gift that I would bestow on anyone coming to pray at this temple. Mm. So, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I hear clients right, all the right. time that, that, make, that make these things like, oh, they're single and they're dating and they're like, oh, well, every guy I meet wants to do this or every girl I meet wants to do this. Or when I meet up with, because I also see a lot of like polycules, like non-monogamous people in constellations. And when I meet up with couples, it's always like this. And I'm like, you know, I, I as a human <laughs> am proud to say that I have a very big sample size for what's out there. Mm -hmm. And that's not been my experience. And I think some of it is because of the energetic internal work of saying to the universe, like, this is what I'm available for. And this is what I'm no longer available for. And I think the second thing that I want to say, I know you and I, Haley, have touched on this before, like in our own dialogue, is that that relationship that you knew was um, not going to happen, it, you pr were probably not going to be buried next to each other, mm -hmm. was very legitimately a valid and worthy and nourishing practice toward the kind of relationship that you want to build in the future. And when I look at people now, I never want to shame someone for casually dating, for being honest about like, this is how much em emotional space I have. This is the bandwidth I have. This is the time I have. I'm not really looking for something with longevity, but they feel this frustration that they're dating all of these as, as the kids are saying like these fuck boys or fuck girls or fuck persons. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. And, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I, I have to ask, like, what are you practicing? Like, if you want a, a long-term healthy relationship, it's also fine if you don't, but if you do want it at some stage, 
What are you practicing now? What are you doing with the people in your field now that are helping you, right? Like I, like I said before, I always equate it to like, I want to run a marathon next year, but like I don't run a step today. It's mm-hmm. like, well, this is the day of the race, honey, you are going to have a hard time crossing that finish line because you have done nothing to prepare for it. So when we remove the judgment around, okay, me and this dude aren't going to be buried together, fine, wonderful. What medicine can we make together now? What can we practice now? How is this still the oak tree inviting the acorn into being? And I think that that story that you shared is just, is an example of that. I did the inner work. Mm. I called someone, then it was a match that was my next right step. And how am I really like sucking the marrow out of this experience so that I'm moving forward all the time, whether or not I have a a steady long-term monogamous partner who's doing it with me. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I interviewed another sex coach on this topic and wow, it's so powerful what you just said about getting rid of the luxury. No, that's BS. I did the work and he was an amazing uh, next step for me. Mm. And this sex coach interviewed too, she was talking about how um, she said that fuck boy, fuck whatever it is. They are actually needed, right? Like, um, think about how many, I I don't know if you've worked with people like this, but I've, I mean, come on. I don't know how many people are not doing anything sexually in their marriages, you know? Mm -hmm. And they, they're just, they've been, they've been roommates. And so having a casual sexual partner, whatever it is, it's fine if that's what you want. I think we need to let go of the shame of, of it, you know? Right. Right. I, I used to say this in, in yoga when I taught yoga. I also say it when I coach around food is like everything in its season is medicine and everything out of season is poison, period. Right. Sometimes marriage is the best thing you can be doing. Sometimes it's the worst. Sometimes a one night stand is the most transformative experience you can have. Sometimes it's very damaging and it's all that matters. And similarly, sometimes steak for breakfast is a great idea. And sometimes it's going to be awful. And you know, it's, it's learning to navigate our own inner waters Our learning to, as we said earlier in the call, right? Like building trust with ourselves again and again and again, incrementally to trust that like, this is my season of nachos. <laughs> this is my, this is my season of pickles. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. In the end, right? Like what is adaptability? What is um, all of this variability? If not just Overall, I mean, that is kind of what moderation is. It's not the day-to-day rigidity of I do this, I don't do this, or as the late Ram Das used to say, shooting all over yourself. Mm. It's that like I get to show up in the fullest expression of me and trust that like I'm on the way to where I'm going because where else would I be? Yeah, I mean, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and giving yourself permission too. Like I think that I mm. used to hold myself back from feeling joy because I, and so many women I've noticed do this too, that, that, you know, we have to do all of these other things and then I'll feel joy, right? And then I'll allow myself to be able to feel mm. bliss and then experiencing more orgasms and more, more pleasurable sexual experiences. But I can't do that until I do all this other stuff. It's so true. I mean, it's this, it's like when I lose the weight, then I'll meet the right person. Mm. When I get the job, uh, when I get the raise or when I get the promotion or when I get the job, then I'll really shine in my, in my career. And you can put this in any area of your life and it's, I'm sorry, but it just reeks of entitlement and it reeks of a paradigm wherein you barter with the universe. It, the, I say all the time, the universe does not negotiate with terrorists. 
The universe is not here to trade you on something. The universe is here to be a match for that which you can hold. And so if you can't hold pleasure now, you can't believe that like, oh, well, when I do this thing, the spiritual daddy of the universe will say that I am worthy and it will trade me for the life that I want. Or when I do this, when I perform this, it's like, no, when I, when I be this. And I also find that um, most of the goals that we're all going for are not the work that's interesting. Having the $100,000 in the bank, having the ideal relationship, mm -hmm. having the goal weight, if that's still a thing, I guess maybe people still do that, but um, having the, buying the bag, that's not the exciting thing for anyone. When we really get into the deeper work, the exciting piece of it is being the version of myself who is in the having of these things. And the version of yourself, if you ask, and I do, right, we do like future self journaling. It's a big thing in the coaching space, right? Mm -hmm. It's like asking mm -hmm. the version of yourself, like, what was I doing the day that I had all those orgasms? What was I doing the day that I hit my goal weight? What was I doing the day I bought those shoes? And in any moment, what was I doing the day the $100,000 hit my bank? And in any moment, probably what you were doing was not caring about that thing. Probably what you were doing was being well now, being fulfilled now, being inspired now, being happy now, because the version of you that has the $100,000 is already thinking about having the million dollars. The version of you now who has the shoes is already thinking about, because desires are our gifts from God. They're just guiding us forward in every moment. So instead of bartering, which is just really gross, like the universe is looking at that like this, like like it's sort of like, like to bring it back to sex when you, you're like, well, I'll go down on you. If you go down on me, it's like, like, I mean, some people do it. Some partners do it, but there's always that like skeezy vibe of like, ah, I, uh, and the universe feels the same way. Like the universe is your lover too. So because we're all the lover and the, and the beloved, like on every level and every season. And, and, and so it's like when you step back and you're like, okay, well, what is the version of myself? What am I becoming that makes me the one who can hold that, that makes me the one who can be with that, that makes me the one who has that and has more of that and wants more than this is like, it's, and starting from there versus like, oh, well, when I've done everything on my to-do list, then I'll do me. It's like, it's a trap. Wow. And I'm so, this is such great timing too, that you brought up the whole, I'll do me if you do. I mean, if I go down on you, if you go down on me, BS. I actually saw a post on that recently on Instagram and um, some of the comments were so interesting. And I think that that's fascinating how it was actually the woman saying, well, he's always, I'm always doing the giving and then not him. And so I think that that's fascinating to me how people keep score sexually. Um, I remember I looked up with a guy, this was like years ago and it was my first experience of that where we're laying there. We didn't even done anything. We're just talking. And he said, okay, He's like, you go down on me. And I'm like, is this, is there like a schedule of who, how we have sex here? This is weird. <laughs> and so then I was like, and then what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was so weird. Um, and he was like, and then we have sex. And I was like, um, no. <laughs> and so we didn't do anything because it was such a turnoff for him to like, like schedule it out. That's weird. Right. To play that well, I guess maybe you guys didn't know each other well, but when I see clients in a relationship where this happens, I always call it like playing the greatest hits. Mm. And I'm like, you know, like you're, you're too young to have a greatest hits album. And I don't mm -hmm. care if you're 70, you're still too young to have a greatest hits album. It's like, if you're not, we, we all just need to be like present with the truth of the moment. And 
we have this weird, so like I identify as an anarchist, a relationship anarchist, a political oh, anarchist. I love it. That's just, that's just what it is. But we have this really strange hierarchy of validity of like sexual acts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's right. It's like, well, you know, we have right when you're like you're a teenager or preteen and you learn about the bases, right? It's like, oh, this act means more than this act. And anything that I'm receiving, I'm supposed to like more than I'm giving. And I'm supposed to think that, you know, other people's peepees or your cooties spots or whatever. And I'm supposed to just do it, be in the muck with it so that I can get mine. And if I think that my partner's peepee has cootie bits, then I, then I have internalized shame about my own body, about my own, about my own organs. And I've also devalued myself because like, why would I put cootie bits in my mouth? Right. Mm. Like that's just not, or in my hands or in my anything. Um, And so I think that again, like we just, we forget our innate holiness. We forget our innate sacredness. We forget our, our innate divinity. You know, there's a tantric teaching that's again, I don't, I don't, rigidly identify with the Tantra. I did, I lived in Asia for eight years. So it is a, it is a backbone of a lot of my work, but um, there's a teaching in the Tantra that suggests that um, our original sin was just divorcing our spirituality from our sexuality. That's also, I think in the book, um, the Sophia cook, uh, I think mm, she says that as well. I've heard of that book. Read it. Is it good? Oh, it's, it's really good. Yeah. I like it. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's really beautifully written. Um, and and I think that when we, when we see that, right, again, the, the backbone of all of the teachings of the Tantra, of, of, any, of anything, of any faith that I know, if you really get into it, is love and unity, unity consciousness. So if everything is one and everything is divine and everything is holy, then so is my, is my partner's body and so is my body and so is this sex act and so is that sex act and so is my grief and so is my shame and so is my pleasure and so is my joy and so is my gratitude. And when everything is sort of created equal in the eyes of God or love or source or divinity or unity consciousness or Christ consciousness, then I just get to choose. And I then just get to choose as a function of my, of my desires. And so I think it's really interesting because I feel that whether it's a one night stand or your partner of 20 years, if you don't get to that place where that person's cootie bits are anything more than cootie bits for you, if you can't see the divinity, I mean, that's either an invitation to go within and work on yourself or, or maybe you're not choosing a resonant partner. Yeah. Yeah. I think it all goes back to kind of what you were saying earlier about like, um, if you have to be with someone where you both have to keep score, where else are you doing that in your relationship? Oh, you're doing it everywhere, right? Yeah. You're probably doing it with your, that's probably how you think the world works. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and really, um, there's a word for that and it's called codependency. And that can be in your romantic relationships. But again, you're codependent on money if you won't show up to be responsible or feel abundant without having X number of dollars. You are codependent on your weight if you believe that you're not going to start dating until you hit X weight. You are codependent Mm -hmm. on whatever it is that's serving as as that external validation, right? There's codependency, like that's a you know, that's a real psychological term, it has a Mm -hmm. meaning, but that can be present in a romantic relationship in a familial relationship. But there's also this sort of low wave of societal codependency. That's just another version of the spiritual daddy is like, when this happens, then I can do this, then I can feel this, then I can be worthy enough to ask for and have and be in the receiving of this. And it's like, no, no. When you are self-empowered, when you are self-sourced, and this is like the beauty, right? As, as, 
Um, I was, I had a really interesting um, high school boyfriend. I have always been, fortunately, since my sexual debut, have always been multi-orgasmic. I had a really proactive sexual partner. Everything was on the table from high school. We were together for two years. Very expressive, very exploratory mm-hmm. um, relationship. Um, and I'm really, and I'm really fortunate for that. I, that gave me that gave me a really big sense of, of freedom that I brought into my life. Um, and so my first orgasm wasn't with myself or with masturbation. Um, and I actually didn't even know how to masturbate for like a couple years after we had broken up or maybe a year after we'd broken up. And when I suggest to partners that, you know, they have to experience their solo pleasure practice or their solo, well, their, their solo stimulation practice, right? Like if you're really working on G-spot or cervical orgasms, if you have trauma that lives in that part of the body, if you have stress stored in that part of the body, not everything that's coming up, spoiler alert, is going to be pleasure. So pleasure is important, but I, I also think it's not everything. Oh, um, yeah, it could hurt. Yeah, I've experienced that. Right, right. If you, you know, it's like a massage. If you have a regular massage, if you have a frozen left shoulder and you go to have that worked on, some of it is going to feel like relief and release and some of it's going to be really uncomfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you, that, so, you know, but when I suggest that clients have this solo sexual practice, we fall back into this hierarchy of like that, which I do with myself is not as worthy or not as validating or not as valid as that, which I do with my partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I, I think it, I think it takes both. And when you're self-sourcing, when you're learning to be self-empowered, it doesn't mean that all of your pleasure now comes from masturbation. It means that you can be in the giving and the receiving freely without greed, without fear of scarcity, without feeling like I have to barter for mine because you are self-sourced. If you can't do this for me, I, I can do it for myself and it's ecstatic and it's wonderful. And if you can't do this for me, I have the patience and the communication skills and the self-worth and the wherewithal to talk you through it with and that's really what it gives you. It's not just like you're going to go masturbate in a cave until you reach enlightenment. Although, I mean, you can, who's to judge, but mm-hmm. it's so that I can show up to be my own best lover, which means that I am my own best advocate, which means that you now have a shot to be my own best lover too. I was really lucky that my high school partner and I had that, had that vibe, had that landscape, had that connection, but it also disturbed me in subsequent relationships because suddenly I was like, well, why doesn't he, you know, my later partners, I was like, well, why doesn't he just like get it? I don't. And I had to learn like, oh, you, I mean, you could just say something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's so, um, you know, it does really, I remember one of my friends dated a guy once and he, it was very tit for tat sexually. And then that way translated to dating, right? Where he would say, oh, you bought dinner tonight. I'll buy it. You can buy it. No, I bought it tonight. You buy it tomorrow night. And so I do think that that codependency thing that you were discussing, it's, it can be very deep seated for people when they don't even realize that it's, they're experiencing it. Like, wow. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just sort of, it's just sort of everywhere. And I do think that, you know, the felt experience of it, it's, it's a really subtle shift. So I, anyone who's listening is like, oh, my partner and I like divide up who pays dinner or like, you know, there is this sense of like, I receive your gift with so much gratitude that it's the obvious next step for me to want to give back. Mm-hmm. There is the I receive your oral sex or your love notes or whatever with such gratitude that I feel and I feel so full within myself that I, it naturally overflows into you. 
And then there's the sense of I'm giving what I don't have. And so you better pay up. And that, you know, I always tell my, I'm a Capricorn. So I always tell my clients, I'm like, it's sort of like putting something on an emotional credit card, right? It's like, well, now suddenly that person better pay up and there's interest versus if you, and, and they didn't know, and they didn't know that you were putting it on credit. They thought that you were just paying with your debit card, your emotional debit card. It was already in your reserves. And now suddenly you've come to collect and there's interest. And that's really damaging to a relationship. Um, I have these two tattoos on my wrists. I can show you. They say mm -hmm. Ja and Yan. They're Vietnamese. I lived in Vietnam for five years. And they mean give and receive. And it's a really beautiful concept in the in the Vietnamese language because giving it's sort of like the image of what we would we we now know in the in the collective consciousness the yin and the yang sort of energy that there's like all of the white and that little black spot and all of the black and that little white spot in the Vietnamese language giving intrinsically implies receiving and receiving intrinsically replies in, implies giving and we realize that like when you are giving if you're really tuned in, you're receiving your partner's joy. You're receiving your partner's receptivity. You're receiving your partner's surrender, their trust, their whatever. And when you're receiving, really being in your pleasure, really being in your surrender, really being in your allowing and receptivity is a tremendous gift for them. So I don't want to say it's, it's inherently wrong to decide who pays for what or decide who goes down on who when and, and wanting a level of equilibrium, but check yourself internally. Do I feel like I need to be paid back or do I really heartfully, generously want to give? Mm, yes. And I'm glad you said that, Beth, because I do think that, um, especially in terms of the sexuality piece, that's a huge one where I've noticed where some people are like, oh, well, you know, I'm a giver. I don't like receiving. Oh, you know, I just, um, I don't like that, that sex act, but I'll do this. You know, there's so many mm. different if thens or whatever. And so I think it's, it's very interesting. Well, right. And it's all about just checking that internal relationship with yourself. I mean, do I believe in a universe where it's possible that like, yeah, you inherently just like one sex act more than the other. Like that's just how you are with, with no judgment, with no meta emotion, with mo no shit frosting. Yeah, of course, for sure. But checking it within yourself is like, Oh, well, when I like to go down on my partner because I feel in control and because I feel like I'm, I'm showing my worth and I'm being valid, I'm being validated. And when he goes down on me, I feel really impatient and I feel nervous that it's taking too long. And I feel like what's the internal monologue that we can be really honest with ourselves and really check in with ourselves. Like what's my experience of my experience? Cause I think that gives us a lot versus when we can drop into exploration curiosity, generosity, and sensation, and we just play. And then it, again, it's like getting a massage at the spa. It's like, well, I really like when they rub my shoulders, but I'm not crazy about when they rub my feet. But it's like when I can just be there to, to pay my money, lay on the table and relax, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter because at the end of the experience, like overall, I feel better overall, like I have received what I sort of came for because I didn't come for anything other than to be in the feeling of it, to be in the sensation of it. And we do that at the spa, right? You know, kick the woman or the, you know, whoever the massage therapist is, you know, kick her for rubbing your feet. You just receive it. Mm. And there are some things that you like more and there are some things that you like less, but it's the overall experience that is like, yeah, like I was just in the receiving of it. I was just in the surrender of it. And, and that can include in a sex act, obviously, giving and, and receiving. I guess it doesn't happen in a spa massage. You're not like, okay, baby, your turn. 
have her lay down on the table, but. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Okay. So where do you want to leave everybody? Because I know we discussed some really, you know, important things that people are dealing with now in terms of sexuality and food and relationships. So what takeaway do you want to leave everybody with? I think it's just like, give yourself the freedom and the safety to be honest about where you are and courageous enough to invite yourself to be where you want to go. And that's in sex and that's in life. Everything is valid. Everything at the cellular and cellular levels is reborn. Your brain bathes itself twice a day. Your cells renew every, what they say, seven years, whatever it is. Like you are reborn in every single moment. And there's, there's never the wrong moment to invite yourself to step into that, which you would prefer to become. Um, I guess that's it. Yeah, I love that. And just uh, so giving yourself freedom to uh, receive your God-given desires. Yes, be in the being. Yes, I love that. I love that. Okay, so where can everybody find you? Well, I am on Instagram at my name, which is at Ray Dohar. And uh, my website is raydohar.com. Cool. Nice. All right. Well, we'll put your links below. Everybody be sure to comment below or DM either us. Uh, let us know your thoughts. I would love feedback on this episode because it was in a really it's a great conversation. So be sure to subscribe and I will talk to you beautiful people later. All right. Bye. Bye.